Good morning. All right. It's actually quite a privilege to be here this morning to be asked to fill in for Craig. Uh, it's a tall order, and I'm <coughs> excited to be here and to share some information with you. Uh, the subject is defense. And because, you know, I'm going to do things differently than Craig, let me give you a heads up. Summertime is coming, so I heard in the, uh, the, uh, the announcements. Have you been on vacation where you've gone to, in particular to a really big city and they have these tour buses, like the red double-deckers, and you hop on the bus and the bus goes around the fixed route and there's a tour guide and he's pointing out all of the sites. And some of the sites are the ones you really want to see that's why you came, and other of the sites are, well, you hadn't heard of them before, but they sound pretty interesting. So you get through when you, the, uh, the route, and what you've done is you've been exposed to the city that you would like to know more about. That gives you a chance to, for the rest of the time that you're there, the rest of the week, to plan going to the places you wanted to see, go to the places that you didn't know about and now you want to see, and this message is like that. I'm going to cover a lot of territory, starting with the idea of descent. I'm going to look at who is sent, who sends them, how and why we know that we're sent and that others are sent. I'm going to look at how the people who are sent are described and what their most important characteristics are. Now, this message is based on a uh, message, uh, it, it stems from a message that Craig gave in uh, April, a couple of weeks ago, on our mission. And it was a series that he had called Look Again, and this is the fourth in a series. And in the way of quick review, you remember that Craig talked about our mission as being to make disciples, and he talked about how we accomplish our mission by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Go to the next slide. I don't have a script, <clears throat> and so I have some notes, but I'm not, it's not easy for John to follow because of that. And so if I, uh, if I ask for a slide or to go back, it's, it's all on me, but this is a, a kind of a free-form thing. So in form, in, in a way of review, so Craig talked about our mission is to make disciples. He made it pretty clear of Jesus' command uh, that he gave to his disciples just before he, uh, he ascended into heaven. We accomplish this by going and by baptizing and by teaching. So moving on to the next slide. It's probably pretty clear by now I'm not Craig. And no, even though I brought up his outline and talked about his message, we're not going to go through the message again. What I want to do is point out in the title, as you see up there at the top, message for mission, and then parenthetically, he has God sends. So in the messages that Craig gave in this series, each one had a title with a parenthetical notation about God doing something, and this one was God sends. So I thought it might be a good idea to bring that idea out of the parentheses and to look at it as a, uh, a subject of its own. So the first question, and this answer should be pretty easy, is who sends? 
how does this all start? Well, God sent. And <coughs> I'll take it from the fact that Craig gave us a whole message on this, that that's a given. So who does God send? Okay, I'm seeing this up here now. So who does God send? Well, we read in John uh, chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come here on my own. God sent me. I want to pause right here and make a little comment about the outline. They have uh, blanks to fill in. And I am not going to put up in the presentation the sentences with the blanks and fill them out. So I hope it will be pretty obvious where the answers are. So the first one I'll tell you, God sent Jesus. Well, God sent Jesus, and if we know Jesus' story and the work that he did with his disciples, we know that Jesus was a sender. So who does Jesus send? In Mark chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, we hear a time when Jesus was around teaching from village to village. And we're told that he called the 12 to him, and he began to send them out two by two. So he sent his apostles into the field. In Luke chapter 10, in the first verse, uh, we read that the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Jesus sent 72 of his followers. Jesus' apostles and Jesus' followers were following him and listening to him because they wanted to learn from him and they wanted to emulate him. They were his disciples. Jesus sent, was sent by God and disciples were sent by Jesus. So who are disciples? Uh, how do they and how do we know that they're disciples? So I have three things to consider for, uh, uh, as an answer to this or a sign. First of all, disciples are those who decide to be disciples. Acts 8 verse 12 tells us when they believed Philip, a disciple who was preaching the word, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Those who heard the gospel from Philip believed and were baptized, and they became disciples. Disciples are those who decide to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Who are disciples? Well, they're the ones who know that they're disciples. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Disciples know they're disciples when they abide in. And I like that. You, you, you wrap yourself in the word. You absorb the word. You live completely within and of the word. And when you do that, you will know the truth. And as Jesus said, you are really his disciples. How do others 
know that we're disciples. John 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And maybe most importantly, disciples are recognized by each other, but also by others because of their love. Who are disciples? Because you are a baptized believer in Christ. Because you abide in his word. Because you love others. You are a disciple of Christ. Now, how do you describe a disciple? And I had this thought. uh, I went to a meeting a couple of months ago for a mission that I work in, and they asked us to say, well, give us your elevator speech. How would you tell somebody in just a couple of minutes what this is all about? So how would you describe a disciple uh, briefly, but still capture the essence of what a disciple is? Well, Craig did that in his message when he offered this. He says, disciples are those who learn from Christ to be like Christ. I like this. It's nice. It's a concise description. Another one that I like, though, comes from the discipling work out of the New Testament Churches of Christ's mission in Mbale, Uganda. Now, this is a mission that we've supported for many years. We started our connection with them in 2006. And they have a, a, uh, a very active discipling effort that's going on in Mbale. And it was interesting how it started. There was a couple, J.P. and Bill Robinson from Tennessee, moved to Mbale, and J.P. had a specific assignment there. <coughs> He was recruited by one of the founders of the mission to come and help Dennis Okos, who was the principal at the church leader training school where we provide student scholarships. So they were to go out into the churches that had been planted by this mission over a period of about 25 years at that time and to help them start youth ministries. So they went out and they started visiting some churches and they quickly became aware that the issue wasn't that the churches didn't have youth ministries. The churches weren't mature enough yet. Even though that almost all of these churches had students that had graduated from this program uh, and had become leaders in the church, they really hadn't become mature. And that had they had, they probably wouldn't need somebody to come tell them that they needed a youth ministry or anything else. So they came back and they totally rewrote JP's job description, as it was, and he and Dennis began to actively disciple, starting with the students that were coming through the MDI classes that would be sent back out to the churches, all for the purpose of getting maturity. And this was something that I heard from a missionary in the Dominican Republic, and I heard it from a missionary in in Uganda. And they said, you know, planting churches is easy. Growing churches is hard. They began to focus on growing churches. Well, about this time, well, not about that time, but about 2014, I made a visit there to attend the graduation, and I was interested in this idea of discipling. What does it really mean? One of the things is if we're to go make disciples, we should know what they are. And how do you know when you've made a disciple? <clears throat> so I asked JP and Dennis that. And they said, well, we have an idea. And this was their, I- their idea behind the, the uh, simple description of disciples. Disciples follow Christ. They form their lives around Christ. 
and they faithfully join the mission of Christ. Now, how does this compare to what Craig said? Because actually they're very similar. If you're a follower of Christ, your intent is to learn from him as a disciple. In your role as a disciple, on our mission as being disciples and making disciples, we follow Christ in order to learn from him. This idea of forming your life around Christ is, and is this attempt, this goal that we have to be like Christ. One of the things that I like about the Mbali definition is they expand on this. Well, if you're going to be like Christ, well, then you should do what Christ did. So I think there's a lot of consistency in this. We get this message that we follow Christ to learn from him, to be like him, and we form, we form our lives around him, and we do that because we have the same mission that Christ had. Christ's mission was to raise disciples. So we want to do what Christ did and the way that he did it. Now, what about these descriptions of how do we know we are disciples? Well, we start following Christ when we're baptized into Christ. When we abide in the word, that's the way that we begin to form our lives around Christ. This is where we learn about Christ. And we learn things that we can then put into practice. And when we learn something and put it into practice, we are really abiding in the word and faithfully joining the mission of Christ. Well, we to go and make disciples. Craig's message from a few weeks ago, our mission, Jesus' mission, was he was sent and he made disciples. Jesus' purpose was to be the one and only sacrifice for the sins of all people at all times. Jesus' mission was then to make disciples to go tell the rest of the world that story. Now, what are the characteristics of a disciple? Uh, there are many ways to define it. And one of the things I did before preparing this is I did some research on the Internet. And you can find lots of websites that talk about what is a disciple, how do you describe a disciple, what are their characteristics? And this is probably going to come as a shock to some of you, but the thing that I found lacking in so many of them is not, they had lists that were 10 elements, 10 characteristics, seven important features, not one action verb in the whole list. Now, they're all good things. They're all good descriptions of people. But what are the characteristics that Everything we do and everything we are as a disciple come from. And we get a good picture of this directly from the scripture. Starting with this, disciples, and next slide, disciples are grounded in love. Matthew 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, Love your neighbor as yourself. You're probably familiar with where this came when Jesus spoke this. He was, he was in a crowd and there were teachers of the law. You know, at this time, the Jewish law, there were something like 630 separate items in the list of Jewish laws. And these teachers of the law studied this. They, they advised people. They admonished people. They encouraged people. All this idea of the law. One of these teachers actually went and tripped Christ up 
ask him, well, you know, teacher, rabbi, he said, what's the greatest commandment? And this was Jesus' response. Now, there's an important thing here. Jesus, actually, he said, well, here's the greatest commandment, and here's the second one, which is like it. Love God, the greatest commandment. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In my opinion, and that what I think Jesus is saying when he put these together, these two are inexorably linked to each other. They're separate statements, but they absolutely, one goes with the other. We're to love God with everything we have. How do we show that? We show that we love God by loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. When we love our neighbors, what are we showing them? We're showing them that we love God. Now, there are a lot of things that we should be equipped with. We should be equipped with the gospel message. We should know the scripture. But we're grounded in this concept of love. And Jesus put it this way. Well, <clears throat> let me back up a little bit. Before I tell you what the way Jesus said this, it's, there's a book and a movie called The Theory of Everything about um, Stephen Hawking. But you know, as an engineer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about engineering, I think twice in this, and this is the first time. As an engineer, I went to school and I studied all this stuff. I studied physics and math and mechanics. And I had jobs in aircraft engines, jet engines, and I had a job in air conditioning. And so all the theory that I learned worked just fine in those jobs. And it worked fine in lots of other jobs and lots of other applications. It worked just fine. But if you're in atomic physics and you want to figure out what's going on inside of an atom, or if you're considering the vast universe and how things work there, those things don't work. And people like Stephen Hawking and Albert Einstein spent their lives looking for a theory that explained everything. Well, after Jesus gave these two, these two commands, which are essentially one, he said, you know, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the theory of everything when it comes to the church and being a disciple. It's love, and everything else comes out of that. Out of love, disciples are committed, big time. Luke 14, uh, verse 33, Jesus is talking, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. We're called to go all in on our role as disciples, all in on our mission. Out of love, disciples bear fruit. John 15, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We're to love God with everything, ha everything we have. How do we do that? We bear fruit. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear fruit. If you bear fruit, you are showing yourselves to be my disciples. All in showing God that we love him by discipling others and bearing fruit. Out of love, disciples seek the lost. Matthew 28, verse 19. And this is what Craig used in his message about our mission. It starts with go. Jesus didn't say wait, attract people to you, 
hope they come by you. He says, go out and find them. Go, whatever that means. Don't have to go far. You just have to go. Maybe it's only going out of your comfort zone. But we are commanded to go. How does this uh, represent love? What better way to tell somebody you love them than to share the gospel with them so that they could come to know Christ, accept him as their Lord and Savior, enter into the mission of making disciples with the promise of eternity in heaven. It's, it's all out of love. Not out of obligation. It's not out of command. It's grounded in love. And going out is, is stemmed from the fact that we have the love for God that will do it and the love for people that we want them to, to embrace God and accept, him, accept Christ. Out of love, disciples reproduce. We continue on in Matthew 28, 19. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples make disciples. Out of love for those who need to hear the gospel and in recognition of our own limitations. Now, we maybe have been told through the scripture to go and make disciples of all nations. But the message is, is that we individually aren't responsible for going to all nations because we can't. But if we follow Christ's model, we will make disciples. Disciples reproduce out of love. They want to see everyone having heard the gospel and accepting it. And out of love, disciples send disciples. We send disciples who make and send disciples, who make and send disciples, who make and send disciples. That's how we reach the whole world. Shouldn't be discouraging that we can't reach every corner of the earth. Uh, Bill McClure in GBM, the radio broadcasting mission, comes as close as anybody being able to spread these radio waves everywhere and preach the gospel. But Jesus' example when he came. I think Jesus, if he had wanted to, Jesus could have marched to every country, to every city, every village, to met every person face to face and shared the gospel. He could have done that. But what did he do? He told his, his disciples, follow me, and then he left. He says, you go. Do what I did. Make disciples. He made 12 disciples. 11 of them sort of stuck. They brought in others. It started with Jesus sending disciples. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we should follow his example. So we, we go, we make disciples. I heard one definition of a disciple. If you, are, are you a disciple? Well, you're not a disciple unless you've made a disciple who made a disciple. But it's a continuous process of going, making disciples, and then sending. We should be very focused on the idea of sending from what we have. When does the sending end? Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Not before. Really exciting to have a mission that is limited only to reaching everybody in the whole world with a message that's only the most important message that there is that anybody could hear 
and to participate in the excitement of seeing people accept that uh, excitement because we love them. So I'm going to skip this one. Last point, another engineering story. If it, have any of you heard of or read the book Cheaper by the Dozen? A few of you have. It's a couple that had 12 children. It's a true story. And the couple was Frank and Lillian Gilbert. Now, Frank and Lillian were both engineers. They were industrial engineers in the early part of the, the 20th century. Their job was to study how people work and to help them do it better. And in one of the stories in Frank's early part of his career, he was actually called by Ford Motor Company, who had just transitioned from water power to steam-driven uh, power in their factories. And they had these boilers, and these boilers were, were hand-fed with coal. And as the factories grew and the need for steam grew, they weren't keeping up. And so Frank Gilbert was called in and said, I want to know why we can't keep up. Why is everybody falling behind? And he spent some time out in the factory. He looked at people. He talked to people. He asked them questions. He watched them. He did a few little experiments. Not too long later, he changed some things around, and it started. everything worked like a charm. They, they were keeping up. They were actually <clears throat> getting ahead. There was room for growth. And when he made his final report to Ford, Henry Ford asked him, how in the world do you do that? And he says, you know, I went into the factory and I looked at the workers and I found the ones who were doing it the best. And I taught the other ones to do it the same way. If we're going to make disciples, shouldn't we follow the example of the master disciple maker? Shouldn't we look at the one who did it the best? So Jesus did what he told them to do, the way he taught them to do it, and sent them out on their mission. That's what he did with his disciples. We should be well aware of how Christ, certainly the master disciple maker, made disciples so we can emulate him in that role. Now I, got, I have a cover of a book here and I'm not really trying to sell the book, but this is a, a really good book. And it's a long book. It's a workbook by a guy named Dan Spader who goes through all these scriptures about Jesus interacting with crowds and interacting with his disciples, uh, showing how he handled certain situations, showing how he, he coached them and encouraged them and admonished them, and all these things that made them good disciples. There's 10 chapters. Every chapter has five subheadings. It's, it's made to be done in 10 weeks, five days a week. But however you do it, remember this. Our mission is to make disciples. The model for making disciples has already been given to us, and it's in the Scripture. And so however you do it, look into the Scripture, use a guide or use some help, and learn how to do it. So we don't come back here on Sunday mornings every week to be here. We come here every week so that we can be sent back into the field to bear fruit. So in just a few minutes, I'm going to declare your last week of ministry in the field has come to an end. But your next week of ministry in the field is just starting. So I would close with this, uh, uh, this hope for all of us. When Jesus said in John 
2021. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So leave here today in the peace of the Lord and in the confidence of his promises.